On this episode of Cult Cinema Cavalcade, we'll be discussing the 1999 film Ravenous, starring Guy Pearce and Robert Carlyle. Joining us for this episode will be Aaron Newarth of Rent Hollywood, and out now with Aaron and Abe. another episode of cult cinema cavalcade i'm brandon and as always with me is your tasty co-hoster cullen ahoy ahoy cult cinema cavalcade is a bi-weekly movie podcast that finds cullen and myself discussing a film from cinema's past considered but not limited to being a cult classic and as a disclaimer every episode will include plot spoilers and may contain harsh language today we're here to discuss the supernaturalistic cannibalistic film ravenous Cullen, lick those chops and tell us about Ravenous. Captain John Boyd's promotion stations him at a fort where a rescued man tells a disturbing tale of cannibalism. Ravenous is directed by the late Antonio Bird, written by Ted Griffin, and features a cast of Guy Pearce, Robert Carlyle, Jeffrey Jones, David Arquette, John Spencer, Neil McDonough, and Jeremy Davies as every Jeremy Davies character ever. <laughs> The guy that dies. Yeah. Thank you for joining us in this exciting eighth episode of Cult Cinema Cavalcade. We're a podcast you can find on iTunes and our own website, cultcinemacavalcade.com. It's part of the Dead Radio Entertainment Network. They don't want you to know that, but we're telling you we are. Uh, It's it's better if we're underground. If we go mainstream, they won't like us. We're cool right now. We gotta stay. Yeah, uh, we're interactive too. We have email that you can send email to us. Mail at cultcinemacavalcade.com. We have Facebook, and we have the most explosive and active Twitter account in the business. <laughs> it certainly does exist. Yes. We have Twitter. Shut up. <laughs> if you we tweet, finally did it. If people would tweet us and follow us, we maybe we'd do more. <laughs> but it's there, so enjoy it. Yeah, for the uh, the once a week tweets or whatever we do, we'll do more. Whatever we got lives, back off. You want a Tumblr page? You better start acting up with Twitter, okay? <laughs> Is that what it leads to? I don't know. Now onto the goods. We have. Uh, today is a landmark episode. We have our first ever guest on the show, and maybe it's coming at no surprise to some people, but it's Aaron Newarth of Rant Hollywood and out now with Aaron and Abe. Hey, that's me. I'm here. Hello. <laughs> he's, he's jumping over to, to, to my show now. I love that you like you intro yourself like I intro myself like I don't know what to say, 
but I'm here. <laughs> I yeah, I've I've joined, I've jumped on. I'm excited. I'm excited. <laughs> <laughs> we uh, tried to have Aaron earlier, didn't quite work out, but he's here now, and um, I'm very happy to have him here. I when we started this podcast, he he came and reached out to me and was like, "Hey, if you need any help with that," I'm like, "You're our first guest." <laughs> You're like, "Oh, okay," because was- I. It was weird because we don't we don't live near each other, but somehow you appeared with a gun pointed at my back, saying that that was the, that was the strange part. Mm-hmm. Get in the car. <laughs> yeah, because uh, the first time I was when I started like blogging, it was like a bucket list for, thing for me. I was like, I want to guest on a podcast, talk about movies, and Aaron made that wish come true. And his his uh, big wish was to guest on a podcast that I created, and here it is coming true for him. Not fabricated at all. Completely true. Completely true. So. Uh, Aaron, you brought Ravenous to the table for us for this episode. So tell us, like, why Ravenous for the Cult Cinema Cavalcade? Well, it, it seems like it's—I I know you guys have been doing—you've been focusing more on older films. And I mean, granted, this movie is about 16 years old at this point, so it's you know it's not exactly new. But you guys have you know you focus more on the kind of the 80s and the, even this is what's the, what's the earliest movie you done? Like 70? I don't know. We did, uh, Barbarella was in the 60s. Oh, 60, oh, I forgot Barbarella, yeah, Barbarella. So, I mean, you guys have, you know, you've, got, you've gone back in time. I'm, I'm, a li- I'm a little bit forward, but Ravenous, it just, it seems to fit all the criteria of the films that you guys have discussed so far and just kind of like what you guys are going for. Albeit, I think this movie is actually maybe the best movie that you've guys have done on this <laughs> list so far. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, it, I mean, it's, it's this kind of movie, Ravenous is such a, it's such a bizarre type of film that, you know, won't get for a, for a big studio film or, you know, it's not like it had a huge budget. But, you know, for us, for a major studio film, it's the kind of film that's not going to be made very often these days. It's certainly too weird. It's not quite a horror movie. It's not quite a comedy. It's not quite a drama. It has a period setting of all things. It has an eclectic cast, including David Arquette and Guy Pierce. What? I mean, so it <laughs> it. it, it you know, it bombed in its release. It has a bunch of behind-the-scenes drama that happened. It is now has this cult following. It just has all these crazy things going for it. I only wish there was like some kind of comprehensive documentary that I could watch to really tell me more of the tale of Ravenous. But for everything that this movie does and the entertainment I get out of it, it seems like it is right up the alley of the Occult Cinema Cavalcade podcast. I, I so, don't disagree. Are, are you saying that you're ravenous for ravenous? I'm ravenous to talk about ravenous. <laughs> Good enough. <laughs> okay. All right, well, then let's do that. The movie uh, Ravenous, it opens with uh, a couple quotes. We start with this like really pretentious uh, Nishi quote, which then fades into a, just an anonymous eat me, which lets you know right away, hey, don't take us too seriously, okay? I believe there's a sound effect, too, when it pops up, too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, <"Wa-pow!"> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so we we started uh, in the Mexican-American War in 1847, and we opened in, uh, with a feast and ceremony in honor of Captain John Boyd. Was it for bravery in battle? Cowardice. Yeah, uh, cowardice. <laughs> cowardice. Well, that's what it ended up being. But that's not why like he, got the medal. he was able to single-handedly take over the enemy base and win the, that yes. battle for them. Yeah, and it's a, it's basically a battle where he chickens out and he fakes being dead and gets caught up in a situation where he's inadvertently becomes a hero. And during during his dinner, they're all everybody's munching down and he looks at uh, this kind of raw piece uh, of meat and he ends up throwing up and then... And I understand why, though. 
that meat looked disgusting. Yeah. And everyone <laughs> yeah. was like a fucking I felt like all of those guys were cannibals. Because I knew the movie was about cannibalism. I felt like, oh, right off the bat, he's with a like a group of cannibals. Like, nope, they're just a bunch of assholes that like their meat's super gross and raw. I mean, the film's obviously stylish from the get-go. I mean, what? there's not like an, an officer's table of people dressed completely up with this long table full of like plates of meat. Like, like that's not happening. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Like what? What cuts of meat are those? It's like mm, this got some delicious spine in it. Yeah, look at everyone <laughs> but, looks but to like. be fair, you know those other twelve guys weren't also under the bodies of other people. They just see a piece of steak in front of them. They're like, all right, let's do this. I haven't had steak in months. <laughs> right from the start, they're ravenous. But also, it was a different time. People had rare meat all the time. It was great. Yeah, they didn't. Made yeah, you stronger. They... <laughs> they put hair on their yeah. chest. Kept you alive. This slossing guy, he pretty much tells Guy Pierce, who plays uh, Captain John Boyd, to pretty much beat it. He's transferring him to Fort Spencer in California, which winds up being this empty, cold little fort. And when he's traveling, we get our like piece of the score that's the theme, main theme music for the film. And I really like this. this I love this score. Awesome I, the theme. score is fantastic. And next to The Visitor, which you guys have done, this is probably the best score that you've done on this podcast <laughs> as well. Also true. The visitor has a um, score, though, so it's not the best. <laughs> yeah, if you like, it's kind of the same thing. Like, if you like this one song, good news, you're going to hear plenty of it. Yeah. Well, what I feel like with this theme is it feels it's the that like, thing maybe ahead of cannibal theme songs. Yeah, it feels mm-hmm. ahead of its time. I feel like this theme, if you'd fast forward to like 2006 to 2012, could have been in any like coming of age teen movie, independent mm-hmm. from that time. It kind of sounds like it could have gone in that direction too. But it just it, when I think of ravenous and you watch the I mean, I guess the theme is in the trailer, but it's just not the type of music I would have thought would accompany it. Well, it's a mix of uh, Michael Neiman, you know, cl- classically trained film composer, and Damon Albarn, the lead singer of Blur and the head of the Gorillas. Uh, so it's it's this mm-hmm. wonderful combination of like, well, we have a period film, but it's weird. What do we do? Here's our answer. Like, it's, it's perfect. Yeah. It's like yes. you got your peanut butter and my chocolate and your chocolate and my peanut butter of I'm music. O- I'm Officer Albert. What can I do for you? <laughs> but uh, no, it's like I, lo- I love this school. I love like from the get go when I first saw this movie, I was like, this is I'm, I'm digging this quite a bit. And then it just gets weirder as it goes on. But yes, that main theme does repeat itself over and over again. And like when, by the way, you, we, we've jumped past a couple of things, but Slauson, played by the late John Spencer, was mm-hmm. like, oh, that's fun. Like, John Spencer's in this movie. Um, and the, <laughs> and like, just like that quote that pops up in the beginning, the title just kind of like shoves itself into the movie yes. too with the score just like suddenly appearing. It's just, it's just really odd. Like, just the, like, I don't know like if he, the, I don't know if it's a directorial. Throw up? Yeah, he throws right? up. He, yeah, he throws up. And then the title's and, and, just like, what? like, just pops up. <laughs> by the way, Ravenous. It's like I don't I don't know if like these are like directorial choices and we can get to some of the director drama that happens later on or if it was like well we had like the studio like Fox was thinking well we have this movie what can we do to really spice it up for the box up like I don't know what who made what decisions involving the title to this but or the bookends or whatever but it's like there's some there's some weird stuff going on here yeah that's yeah part of the the appeal to it is just it's it's loose it's mm-hmm. kind of because like it means it's raw. As you as you see, it's a period film, so you kind of you expect a certain vibe from it. So like automatically, you're already getting this like, what is this movie that I'm watching right now? Right. 
so then uh, he gets to the the Fort Spencer, which is just desolate, pretty much. There's no one there, and he meets with Colonel Hart, played by Gerald Fogel's buddy Jeffrey Jones, <laughs> who likes walnuts. He uh, sits and eats and cracks walnuts, but he welcomes him in, and he kind of gives him like the lowdown on all the ha- inhabitants of Fort Spencer. We don't get much traffic through these parts in the winter. So we maintain only a skeleton company that consists of Private Toffler, who's our personal emissary from the Lord. Major Knox, who never met a bottle he didn't like. Private Reich, who's our soldier. I'd steer clear of him. And Martha, you've met. I bet you didn't get a word out of her. And uh, George, her brother. They're both locals. They sort of came with the place. <laughs> and then there's uh, Private Cleves. The overmedicated Private Cleves. And you and I make eight. Cleves cooks. Knox used to be a veterinarian, so he plays doctor. My advice to you is don't get sick. I tell you don't eat, but then most of us have to. Pretty much nobody comes through there. They're kind of like a stop for people traveling across to Las Vegas. Just people to sit and regroup and then move on. Yeah. And like he, when um, Jeffrey Jones' character, he's telling Boyd, you know, about the place, he actually like lists off like all the people's names. And I was so excited because I think this is like the first movie that we've uh, had on the show where we actually learn the characters' names. And like, background. And background. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's not they're, like... They're naming special skill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a dossier of every character my, in the movie. And it's just its just so nice not to have to wait 45 minutes to learn a character name. My, what my, I loved my, is the, the Neil McDonald. Yes, intro. exactly. It's yes. hilarious. <laughs> He's just in ice-cold water He's screaming. Just, Private Reich. He's just naked in the water screaming. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> Yeah, and like, and uh, what's his um, uh, what uh, Colonel Hart's like? Best stay away from him. Like that's his <laughs> yeah. I think like every scene he's in, he tries to take his shirt off or at least open up his jacket at some point. He plays <laughs> like if you guys have seen Feast, you've seen Feast, right? I saw it long ago. the The Project Greenlight film. Project Greenlight film. This is such an obscure reference, but it fits for this podcast. I think um, it's there's like the introduction of like hero guy or whatever. That's what he seems like. He seems like he's yes. supposed he's supposed to be like what you'd expect the lead character of a film like this to be, but he's not. He's just like a random supporting character who pretty much dies early on. Yes. <laughs> uh, and the doctor there is just a drunk, and he's named Knox. And basically, Jeffrey Jones like uh, my advice: to you don't you know get don't get sick. Yeah. And don't eat either, but you know you got to eat. And he's immediately placed here, and he's number three in command as well. Guy Pierce's uh, Captain Boyd is, and Je- Jeffrey uh, Jeffrey Jones's you know true history aside, uh, his role in this film he's terrific. Like oh he's, no, he's this is like a great person. Best. He's he's no, this... doing. He is perfect in this film. <laughs> no, this is it, yeah. Jeffrey Jones, the actor, you know, no problem with his performances. He was always you know fun to see in like eighties movies and stuff, and. He's great here. Um, this is like because he had this and Sleepy Hollow in the same year. So like this is like a one-two yeah. punch of period films with awesome Jeffrey Jones characters, <laughs> right? And so film like what was it that Stay Tuned back in the day that he got to play around? I don't remember whether it was good or not, but he was pretty enjoyable. In that Stay one. tuned. Wow, that's that's for this podcast yes. also. <laughs> was he the devil in Stay Tuned? He was the guy in the TV messing with people. Mr. So I don't... Spike. 
Yes. Mm, okay. Okay. That's right. So yes. he, he's like he is. Yeah. He's like he becomes like a Mephistopheles type character later on in the film. Love. Stay tuned. By the way. <laughs> yes. Fun fact. We then cut to a, a dinner scene with everybody, and they have like a, a prayer. And it's kind of funny because Jeremy Davies' character, uh, Cleves is his name, I believe, right? Playing a very Jeremy Davies-like character. Yes, (laughs) completely Jeremy Davies. He starts to say this long prayer, and they're just like, okay, we're all done. They start eating. (laughs) And he's like like mumbling. He's like, Like he's just like, (laughs) and then Jeffrey just cuts him off completely. (laughs) David Arquette's character is Cleves. Okay, yeah, Toffler. He's Toffler. That's right, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Toffler. So then uh, Captain Boyd, after dinner, goes out and he uh, we get flashbacks of him recollecting on his accidental triumph, which featured him getting carried away with dead bodies, being on the bottom and blood just filling into his face and into his mouth. And then he stirred up some courage to go and shoot his way out. Yeah, Something every, changed. Every, everything you described at the beginning involving Boyd, we don't learn until just now. And it's because Guy Pierce does not say like a full sentence until this scene in the movie. Right, yeah. Every, everything silent. he says is just kind of like, like he's not talking all through this movie. Yeah, it's. I mean, the movie tells itself without talking very well. He has. He's shell shocked, and it's effective. I mean, Guy Pierce is great. He's a great actor, so it's like it's not surprising. Yeah. But it's just like our main character has not said anything, and not because he's super confident in Clint Eastwood, like man of no name type person. He's just, he's just, he's, he's shell shocked from like having to drink people's blood and getting into this crazy situation where he's been commended for no reason. Right, and I mean later uh, later on in scenes, you get a sense that he is a coward too, and he oh, yeah. plays it without being like oh, yeah. overt and like on the nose about it. It's true. Well, he's Guy Pierce. Guy Pierce is amazing, so he can pull it off. Yeah, there's so the a next... great arc for his character, which is it, it. It winds up being fairly depressing, but like there is an arc here, which is oh yeah. It's, for a movie like this, it's pretty neat what that arc is. But we go the next day, and David Arquette's Cleves leaves with Martha, the Native American woman, that is is there the only woman in the cast, right? Yes. And yeah, I mean, there's like stuff like flashback stuff. Flashback she's the too, only, yeah. yeah, but she's the only yeah. speaking old woman. David Arquette, by the way, who we haven't talked about, is just high the entire movie. Yes, like, that's his role. <laughs> he's he's high on like like Native American he's, peyote or whatever. He's, he's 90s David Arquette. Yeah. <laughs> he was born to play. But you say it. I mean, he's good as Dewey. Like he's fun in those. No, movies. he's good as Dewey. But no, I mean, no, most is. of his roles were like of that ilk. He's like, I'm weird it's and really I'm gross. high. This is like this is a good year for David Arquette. He's, he's got this and never been kissed. So you know, there you go. Hmm. <laughs> he's, he's crushing it. That's what they say. <laughs> and Muppets uh, in space. So you know, it all worked out. <laughs> he was less high. He was still high, just less high. He wasn't Airheads high. He was. He was more. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot he's in Airheads. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> they're going out to deliver uh, mail and pick up errands out in, I guess, town. And they're, they'll be back, apparently. They, Colonel Hart tells them to be back in three days. Uh, and to have no he, women, no drugs, no, like, yes. he, like, he very specifically... He gives them a checklist of, like, David Arquette things that'll probably happen while they're gone. <laughs> but then uh, Hart then asks Captain Boyd what his medal he, he had was for, and he's <laughs> cowardice. He, he, fight, I th- he takes a liking to him, and they share some bourbon with each other, and they, they give some hell to Jeremy Davies for playing the piano during it. Yeah. <laughs> and then, then they find this guy outside. It's a shock moment. And it's it's Robert Carlyle. He's bearded, dirty, disheveled. He's brought in, and they do their best to warm him up with, like, putting him in, like, a hot bath and... Rubbing his bones. Rubbing him. And <laughs> yeah. Putting him by a fire. It's all and very convincing. Of all the people to leave, yeah. leave him with, it's Toffler, Jeremy Davies, because that's that's the guy 
<laughs> I would leave some stranger with. Hey, vaya con Dios. But we have now Robert Carlyle and Guy Pierce, and at this at this time, like what Robert Carlyle was one of the like best actors walking at this time, right? Yeah, like, this they, were, the... they were wanting him in everything. Like after Train Spotting, he had World Is Not Enough the same year. Same year, yeah. And I mean, he was he was in high demand. When was the, never, the like, full Monty? Was that before or after? That this? was before. That was ninety seven. Yeah, he okay. was breaking out, and he was just. I mean, he's. I really like that movie, by the way. That's a that's like a fun go to movie for me. Best Picture nominee, Full Monty. Mm-hmm. This year he had Plunkett and McLean, which were 1999. That year he had Plunkett and McLean, which teamed him mm-hmm. back up with Johnny Lee Miller because that's that was a thing that happened. <laughs> it's it's not a good movie. It's terrible. <laughs> but it, but there's a few movies that are ever going to be called Plunkett and McLean, so I just really wanted to point that out. <laughs> no one's going to hear that title and look. You know what? Oh, I'm in. I'm absolutely <laughs> in. Directed by Ridley Scott's son, by the way. Oh, wow. Jake Scott. This guy that Carlisle is playing, his name is Calhoun, he tells them. And he, he tells the story. He says he was out in the wild for three months, used to be 30 pounds heavier. He hasn't had technically food in that time, but he's eaten. And then he tells us a story of this caravan he was on. And their guy was a guy named Colonel Ives who suggested a shorter route that wound up having, it was impossible travel with, Weather conditions worsening, and they help hole up in this cave. The people run out of food. They eat a oxen, horse, a dog, and belt they, buckles, they belts, shoes, mm-hmm. roots. One of their one day, and the people eat him. And then the hunger gets severe. And Colonel Ives, he says, was not satisfied. And people start just being killed for food. And then he escapes. But there's this Mrs. McCready that he leaves with Colonel Ives, and they're still present in the cave. And immediately, Colonel Hart, Hart is like, all right, well, we need to go save this person. Which is... And everyone else most... like, looks, at, looks yeah. at him like, what the hell are you talking about? It's like, why, why would this person be alive? <laughs> like, why, we, have to, we have to travel days after he left days ago on the thought that this person could still be alive in this cave somewhere? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Everybody's, yeah, he's just gung-ho to get there. Yeah, like, he says, like, is she still alive? Like, I guess... That, that's, that's, that's the that's best a, answer you can give. It's apparently a possibility. <laughs> Even though we firmly established that we were doing nothing but eating the other people in the cave, possibly a week after leaving said cave where there was only one person left to eat, that person might be still alive. <laughs> so Guy Pierce, he runs into George, the local Native American at the uh, fort, and he tells a myth of a man who eats flesh and steals another person's spirit and his hunger becomes insatiable. And the more he eats, the more he wants to, be, wants to and the stronger he gets. And it's, it's the warning. And then they all head out. And the Calhoun, they were going to leave him behind, but he's like, oh, I'm, I'm coming. The score kicks back in at this point. <laughs> yes, just, yeah, it does. <laughs> and they, they they passed by a little cemetery outside their fort, and I found it funny. There was a tombstone that they had that said unknown on it. Like they took all the time to bury. They they, they put a tombstone in. They're like, well, unknown. Hey, vaya con Dios. Vaya con Dios. <laughs> so, they had to carve that into it as well. It's not just like they like wrote it like with some like chalk. It's carved in. Yeah. So, all kinds of effort. Well, it's not like they're really busy up there. <laughs> it's like <laughs> touche. 
It probably uh, drew straws. Like, oh, I want to do the unknown tombstone. You know, we mentioned that the doctor who, you know, could have been dealing with the frozen man outside didn't do anything because he's too drunk. Yeah, he's too drunk. <laughs> and um, he's pretty much not even even seen this person that arrived at the camp mysteriously. Just something to point out. Well, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, yeah. The doctor's, I mean, he's pretty much, he's a player later on, but he's purposely irrelevant at this point. Yeah, he's yeah, just. After the, after the casket's thinned out, then he becomes important. He's, he's drunk for a majority of the. Yes. <laughs> Oh, so don't get sick. During a bourbon break on their trip, uh, Boyd talks to Calhoun about when he ate a man, and he asked if it physically, you know, changed him. Mr. Calhoun, uh, you, you said that when you ate the man. Uh, do, you, do you mind if I ask? You said that afterwards you are your hunger was different than you felt wanton. Yes. Did you feel it all physically changed? Stronger? I seem to remember something like that. A certain virility. Why do you ask? Toffler finds a bone but then slips and falls down the mountainside and injures his torso. It's all pretty thrilling. And then during the night in the tent, it's dark, and you hear him freak out. What's the matter? What? He was. He was like. He was licking me! And he, he claims Cole Calhoun. Was licking his blood while they were sleeping. He was licking me. He's licking me. <laughs> Calhoun tries to say something like he was a nightmare and he sleepwalked to uh, licking blood, but then, and then well, he recommends... was like sleeping next to him. Apparently, he was nuzzling his face into his yes. wound while he was asleep. Sleep licking kids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but he does suggest to restrain him. Yep. And so they, they say he can't be trusted. So they then they. They have him, you know, tied up his hands and uh, on a leash with Neil McDonald loving doing this. Reich is like, ah, walking him. Yeah, he, there's a lot of mugging <laughs> from uh, Neil mm-hmm. McDonald in the background, doing yeah. as much as he can if, if ever he's involved in some way in a scene. He's earning that paycheck is what he's doing. That's right, he is. Need my blue steel eyes to be seen in every shot. <laughs> Crap. Well, they get to the cave and Calhoun starts flipping out a bit and Hart sends Boyd and Reich in to investigate the cave because let's send number two and number three in command in. And the, presumably the best like warriors. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Although like the, the Native American person is like out there too. You'd think he'd be a little more capable but you know we'll see. Hart sits and he's looking around and you can just tell that he just doesn't feel right. There's something fishy and then. He can hear the score. Yes, he can hear the score. <laughs> and, and Calhoun frees himself, and he starts like going really nutty. He's like rubbing his hands together, and yeah, he starts like chanting, kind of mumbling. Kind of. And then Reich, he goes in this little hole to which he discovers the skeletal remains of like the entire group, and then they count them up. And we well, well, said like, um, like Calhoun, how many guys did Calhoun said he had? Like yeah. six, and there's a lot more than like six. Like sets of bones down yeah, there. Yeah, and then he notices that one of them belongs to Colonel Ives, and then he then suddenly has the realization that yes, Admiral Akbar was correct. 
It's a trap! So, and then Calhoun starts digging, like, more furious than I've ever seen my dog digging. And yeah, he's, he's like, like, he's, like his he's... hands are bound, and he, like, runs to, like, a spot and starts, like, digging. And then he, like, stops, walks over, keeps, like, doing weird things with his yeah. hands, then goes back to the hole again. <laughs> it's like he had, like, five bumps of coke, and then he's like, I know what, I know what I'm gonna do. It hasn't, there's a knife there, and he stabs Colonel Hart, he shoots, he takes Colonel Hart's gun, he shoots George... George like throws and, a tomahawk. Yeah, and, and, and he uses heart to as a shield, and then he shoots the shoots yeah, George. Yeah, like guts heart some more, shoots George, and then he it goes to shoot Toffler, and the gun's empty, and Toffler's just sitting there like freaking, and he's like, "You." He's run. like, he's, he's like, he's like Jeremy Davies in Saving Private Ryan. He's freaked out <laughs> and not doing anything, even though he has a, a gun on yeah. him. He's uh-huh. just watching this all go down, just wetting himself the entire time. And it, but it's this perfect like juxtaposition of the score and everything happening around it. Where oh, like, yeah. and when, when, by the yeah. time the gun fails, he's like, "That's so annoying." And then he's like doing what he can, and he's like preparing his knife to go stab Toppler, who's still standing there frozen. But Toppler, like, then he's like, "Run!" That's so annoying. And the music just kicks in, and it's all, like, farcical all of a sudden. Yeah, I know. It's like, because the music was really intense. I'm like, oh, shit, this is, you know, it's intense. And then that music happened. I'm like, wait, what the fuck happened here? (laughs) When did this turn into, like, a Tex Avery cartoon? (laughs) When the gun failed, and he said, that's so annoying. He'd say, so, like, these are, like, little things I love about this movie. It's just so, like, it milks the tension, then it just drops it all of a sudden for, like, this, yeah, this, this, what, this coyote roadrunner chase that happens in the woods. (laughs) But I think it's because the Jeffrey Jones kill, like, that one's supposed to be pretty intense, I'd imagine, because he's, you know, pretty much the the de facto one of the biggest stars in the film. It's like, oh, we're like 30 minutes in and we just killed one of our lead characters. <laughs> all right. So he chases Toffler down. Reich and Boyd find all the bodies. They go, they hear sounds. They go after a Toffler chase and find Toffler gutted. Gutted, yeah. And, and after the chase, Boy, after that chase stuff, Boyd's like, yeah, I'm gonna go back. Yeah, he's and, like, and, I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna do this. Yeah, <laughs> this and, and Reich holds him at gunpoint. He's like, nope, don't think so. And then Calhoun shows up and throws a knife at Reich and he goes over a cliff. Yeah, they're on like a cliffside, which, it, like, all the yeah. settings look great, by the way. Like, this whole oh, yeah. like, oh, this setup is gorgeous yeah. to look at. Calhoun, or Calhoun gets shot by Boyd. He fires at him but then you know he rises up and so boyd's only option he decides i'm just gonna jump off the cliff but boy do boy do like he he has he has somewhat he has like an empty gun i guess yeah and, and uh ives or calhoun he has nothing he just has his hands and sinister faces <laughs> boy boyd wants nothing of this apparently <laughs> yes he just so, jumps off and he tumbles the fuck down like just hitting everything and he even catches reich who's just stable down on the ground and brings him down rolling down the hill with him and this is like 40 minutes into the movie and i felt like to me it felt like we're getting like near the end of this right like like no it's we're not even halfway through this movie and this is already happening we need to put more emphasis on this this jump off the cliff that he yeah it's it's not just like i don't know like a stumble over a hill the dude jumps off a cliff (laughs) yeah exactly like like i expect like okay here's the final showdown between our 
protagonist and like the the antagonist. Like like nope, this is the halfway point of the movie. Fuck it, let's keep going. Yeah. And it's like, I mean, this clip, it's like Arnold Schwarzenegger jumping off a cliff in Predator, except there's no waterfall underneath him. The dude just right. jumps into, like, woods. <laughs> yeah, tumbles through a tree. Yeah. He, he breaks his leg, too. Like, there's bones sticking out of that thing. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Smells like almonds. <laughs> it's not good. Oh. Right, like, is still alive when he falls into the pit with him and tries to strangle Boyd before he finally dies. Okay, he's, yeah, like, <laughs> hanging upside down, and the last thing he tries to do is kill Boyd because he hates him so much. Yes. <laughs> And, and he manages to avoid being seen by uh, Calhoun. So they just sit in a resting. Takes like the stairs off the side of the cliff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like that would have been an easier route to, you know, whatever. He you avoid the slides. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good, like, it's a good tense. I mean, as much as it's abs- the absurdity going on, it's a good tense moment where Boyd can't do anything. So he's just kind of in a pit with like. Uh, branches and stuff over him. And Boyd yeah. stops, or sorry, Cal- Calhoun stops and. It's a, I mean, you could go either way on whether he knew he was there or not, but he just stops and kind of tries to, I guess, smell around to see if, if Boyd's anywhere near him, and then he just walks off. You know, Boyd just rests. He ends up, you know, having to like try to put his leg together. He ends up uh, eating some of Reich for survival. Yeah, there's he's a good. There for se- he's yeah. there for several days. Yeah, before yeah. he has to. He doesn't want to. But it's the only way. We're showing we're showing the moon <laughs> moving often to make sure we know that days are passing, and uh, yeah, Boyd like he has to he like bites a piece of wood and pushes his bone back into his leg, and uh, meanwhile we're watching like Calhoun like he's like all right well I guess I'll set up camp for a while. <laughs> <As> I, <Yeah. laughs> he's skipping stones, just yeah. you know yeah, whatever. I've made a mess of things. <laughs> Better clean that one up. He's dragging bodies into the cave. He's like, well, I don't want this to, you know, uh, I want to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't want those, to spoil. Get those leftovers. I've got food for days. Boyd, uh, you know, he travels back to the fort, and it's like heavy snowfall. Oh, when, the, uh, when he eats Reich, the score kicks back in. <laughs> yes, the score comes back mm-hmm. uh, for his get, travel get to point back. that out whenever I can think of it. <laughs> and he returns to fort spencer and he rests up and he goes to martha for advice on how to stop the wendigo and she lets him know that you know you can't stop it you have to get you have to die to get rid of it and so then uh the old unit that boyd was with with slosson they come to basically you know check this out they investigate the situation with you know all these missing soldiers but there's no bodies or anything found from where it was reported to be happened, and General Slauson kind of tells Boyd, you know, you might want to change your story about all this that you're telling me. Might be a good idea. And after that, he he introduces him to the interim commander to come to the post, and it's Colonel Ives, and it's a much cleaned up Robert Carlyle with some different looking facial hair. You know. So this is this is the point where the movie's like, oh, whoa, what? Yeah, that, that's kind of what I said too. Like, what the fuck is this movie? <laughs> it's where it gets very interesting. I mean, as if it wasn't before, but now it's got this psychological mm-hmm. yeah. twist uh, coming to it. And you know, Boyd freaks and he tries to tell Slauson that oh, no, that's Calhoun. And then oh, here comes Doctor Knox, drunk doctor, doesn't recognize him. But he and, does remember that he wore a beard. Yes, and then there's a terrific sequence though where they ask him. You know, Boyd mentions a shoulder wound from shooting him, and they ask Colonel Ives to remove his clothing to to show the shoulder. 
and they take their time and he's got layers of clothes so we have to go watch each layer come off and then he does the wrong shoulder and then you go to the other shoulder and it's it's all fine it's all clean he, he's fine but the the nice it's a nice tense long situation waiting for that reveal that maybe maybe there's a, a wound there maybe not it's great it's a great moment we have a dinner scene where i've sort of you get the sense that you know this is the robert carlisle we saw back we last left back in the woods because he has some nice tormenting to captain boyd who who finds this knife and just kind of hangs out with it like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stab you one of these times. Well, Boyd's in one of those impossible situations where it's yeah. like, this guy did all this stuff, and I can't prove this right now, but he's living amongst us. <laughs> like, Ives, like, passes up dinner. Like, oh, he doesn't eat meat. And he's like, when's, and he tells Boyd, he's like, when's the last time you uh you ate meat? And there's, a, there's a lot of him being, like, really freaked out at any move Boy, uh, Calhoun makes. Yes, it's great. Like, he, like, looks, like he, he looks stand- like shit, and he's just, like, holding this dirty knife and... Boyd then goes to look at a window where uh, David Arquette Cleves is setting up these torches and then fantasizes about killing and eating him. Yeah, it's super trippy. Like Arquette is just a mouthful of blood and he's just like laughing like he just got told the greatest like knock knock joke in the world. Yeah, so Boyd is carried around this knife everywhere he goes. His eyes are never leading eye, uh, Colonel Ives. And then finally, after this like chess game that was played or this little relaxation period in some den one night uh boyd and ives talk finally and ives he found reich and he says he you know he had tuberculosis and he met this native american who told him about the wendigo he tried it he tells his caravan story again but then reveals that you know he ate five men in three months and his tuberculosis was gone and he's confused why you know boyd Boyd having given into it, or hasn't given into it after like tasting meat, tasting it like he has. Here I am, one year later, feeling more alive than ever before, and that's what surprises me about you, Boyd. You've tasted it, felt its power, yet you're resisting. Why? Because it's wrong. Ah. Morality. The last bastion of a coward. Then Boyd slices his hand, which gets Ives to like tempt him even more. But this is all broken up because you know Boyd goes to kill him, and Martha comes out with a knife and says that you know she'll kill Boyd if he kills Ives, and everybody comes out and witnesses the situation. It's a great like like I mean. As fun as the kind of the weirder stuff and the action beats are, like Ted Griffin's script for this movie, it allows for a lot of really fun like moments and like conversations that can take place debating the the morality and the nature of cannibalism and why it can be useful <laughs> in the sense mm-hmm. of this film. Like it's really right. it's interesting. And they let us they I mean they let us go wondering about Robert Carlyle just enough. Like it's not left for a long time. We get a couple Teasy scenes, and then immediately he addresses the situation. He doesn't; he's not hiding it from Boyd. He's just waiting till they can have some time alone to discuss. And I really like that. But then Cleves, David Arquette's missing, and uh, Martha she searches and finds a, a, a some mutilated horses. And then when she gets other people, we see that Cleves is now gutted, and the doctor's like, "It's Boyd." I like when she goes into the stable and she sees like all the dead horses. It's like. 
like any movie that has like a serial killer in it and like the person like finds the serial killer's den and there's just like full of like doll heads and like you know like newspaper clippings that show like they're absolutely insane and like she's like like spinning around and looking around like you're like fuck this and she runs out of there <laughs> i really like that scene it's our, our second episode in a row with uh, abused horses <laughs> not our last <laughs> <laughs> they just uh, the doctor and ives agree to have boyd put into like their little uh, cell prison room locked up stockade they're gonna have uh slosson general slosson come back to take him put him under arrest but they send martha to go travel to get slosson Boyd, he's locked in a room, and the doctor, doctor sees someone new. You can tell he thinks is familiar, and then he's killed. Yeah, Boyd's trying to make sure that, like, he's, like, actually still alive. He's, like, talking to him to make sure like, yeah. that Ives hasn't, like, you know, already killed him, and that it's just the two of them. Somebody enters the room where Boyd's in, and it's Jeffrey Jones! He's alive, Colonel Hart. Almost like he, like, walks into the room, like, remember me? He then reveals to Captain Boyd how he was dying, and then Ives, you know, he fed him to fed him people, and they got him back to health. And he's, you know, not interested in doing anything harm to Boyd, but he wants him back in the fold. So you're gonna kill me? No. no. It's lonely being a cannibal. <laughs> Tough making friends. No, I like you, Boyd. He, uh, I want to bring you into the fold. You gotta eat. Because it's hard to make friends when you're a kid. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. And so then Ives comes in and, you know, they're doing, you know, they're moving around Knox's body and he explains his His plan. His headless body. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) So then they're explaining their plan and then he fatally stabs Boyd in order for him to have to eat people again. Because they were making a stew out of, of, of the major. Yeah. Yeah. Boyd gives in and he eats his way back, but they they still have him in prison. They're not just buying yeah. into it because he's doing that. I don't think the score kicks in right there. <laughs> no, 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 but I don't think so either. But it could have. <laughs> it could have. Boyd and Hart decide to argue because you know Boyd tells him, "I'm not continuing on with this. I was just getting healthy." He says he's going to kill Ives, and Hart goes a little bit crazy, smashes his walnuts. He with his hand. It's a callback, yeah, because in the beginning he smashed it with a book, and, and now he's, and now he's stronger. stronger, so he can use his hand yeah. to do it. Because yeah. he feels terrific. He, he tells him that like in the previous scene, like, I'm glad I'm eating people. I feel great. Yeah. It's like he like like, de- like like he detoxified himself or something like that just from eating people. Well, even his yes. look is pretty like, is like slightly different. Like He's not wearing his glasses anymore. He's obviously a little covered in blood and whatnot, but his hair is <laughs> different. Like it, there's just a there's a physical difference in what Jeffrey Jones's performance yeah. looks like at that point. Yeah, he's standing taller, he's moving a little bit quicker. I mean he's not like running around, but he is he's a little faster. It's little details like that that like this movie does a good job of trying to do something with that. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, he flip flops here because while well, he does go crazy but he asks Boyd, you know, kill me first. You can kill lives, but kill me first. I can't keep going on like this. I thought that was kind of like for the movie purposes, fine, cool. But I also thought it was kind of weird that like in the previous scene, like he says, like, I feel terrific. And then like in the next scene, like, man, can you just kill me? Like, that's weird. Well, he was was his problem was because he wants Boyd because he feels alone with this. And, you Mm -hmm. know, Ives isn't enough because I don't think, you know, no matter what, you don't trust Ives. 
and mm-hmm. he was he was trying to sell it to to Boyd. And if if he could have someone else with him, then fine. But you know, being alone with it, he's like, you know what, <laughs> you got me. <laughs> you know, he says. So what he's saying is like, you know what? When I'm hard pressed, I don't care to eat people and gain superpowers. Apparently, well, he's not ever. He's, he's that he's that person that got suckered into like selling like beauty products and stuff. Oh no, it's great. No, you come on, you know, you buy my stuff. No, so, you should sell them too. And then it's like, pe- you know, no, was, yeah, it does suck. He was peer pressured. Yeah. So, so it's, a, the, so it's the, a, the cool jock Ives is now out of the way. So he's like, you know what? This isn't for me. <laughs> it sounds like a pyramid scheme of cannibalism. That's what right. it sounds like. Exactly. Yeah. Manifest destiny. <laughs> <laughs> That's what that means. Okay. Okay. Cool. <laughs> I've seen Guy Pierce slit Jeffrey Jones' throat and blood going everywhere. There's and... a lot of blood in this movie. We haven't emphasized how much oh, blood yeah. there is in this movie, but this is a bloody movie. <laughs> Very bloody. Yeah. Like when you see Toffler, like he's not just killed, like his. Like his whole torso is just split open. Yeah. It's uh, it's like a like he's been dissected. It's just everywhere. Yeah, they open him up. Ives escapes. Boyd he draws this sword, which is awesome. And Ives escapes and Boyd goes looking through the fort for him and he finds him. He's got this bloody cross on his forehead because it's the nineties and that's badass. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot. Yeah, there's a lot of fun edits here to like just to like show his presence even when he's not in front of Boyd of just like reminding him it's like this guy's out there and he's crazy. Yeah, he's got like the uh, the the movement abilities of Jason Voorhees, where he's somewhere but then he isn't. Just and, and, and he's everywhere. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Again, superpowers through eating human flesh. The same even happens like way early on when uh, Reich and Boyd are are uh, are fighting, are, are like going after. Um, uh, Cal- Calhoun Ives, uh, when he's like, like they 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 think they see him and they shoot and then he's not there all of a sudden. Like there's little things like that throughout the mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But meanwhile, Boyd is looking for Ives and he's rocking like the greatest old navy uh, fleece that he can while right. he's doing it. Yes. <laughs> yeah, he is. It's styling lo- with those Civil War pants. I'd love to be that have that as a Halloween costume of like just wearing like a big blue um, <laughs> uh, pullover that's like covered in blood on it and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> with a big, with awesome. a big sword in my hand, it's like, what are you? I'm Boyd from Ravenous. Duh. <laughs> Duh. What's a Ravenous? <laughs> he finds him once, and they get in a battle, and he gets. I mean, these battles are cool because they both take realistic, nice blows. Like he gets, he's uh, Boyd stabs. Is a Boyd stab Ives with the pitchfork, and then Ives is close enough. He stabs Boyd with a knife, and then they head, the they headbutt, and... they headbutt each other. Mm. They stab each other. And then Boyd gets out of there as the this little hut they were in collapses. Ives chases Boyd now to this little house. They're just you know bleeding out and tired, and they grab the, each other. The um, all the fighting that took place, like the movie apparently ran out of money, so like all that battling at the end is just them choreographing stuff like yeah. off the day. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It was like supposed to happen. Like it was supposed to be like a burning building and then fighting on the roof uh-huh it was supposed to be more mm. epic i guess but this is more fun like it's more yeah. like gritty and just like let's beat each other up with whatever we can find on the ground yeah so it's like the cannibal version of uh the fight scene from they live yes we're just keeps <laughs> going yes. on and on it's exactly that <laughs> yes so boy grabs uh ives and forces him onto this like huge bear trap and i like he sets it off with like pushing his head onto the little plate it snaps him and then ives questions him he's like hey you know if you die first i'm gonna eat you <laughs> fine he's like but if i die first what are you gonna do his and- line when he first gets hit it's like that was very sneaky that was 
really sneaky. Yeah, so Carlisle's yeah. hilarious during yes. this as he dies. And one thing I like when he dies, you can like hear his last breaths like coming out of him to the very end, which is a really cool touch. The cool thing is they've built us up this whole movie. We've seen Boyd in this situation multiple times in the movie, and this is the one where he, you know, he doesn't give in. But uh, General Slauson does arrive. The he finds uh, the stew. He eats it. He, he eats it, and he's like, "Ooh," <laughs> but. Yeah, Ives dies, Boyd alive, and Martha comes to look at him, and then Boyd, you know, look, gives Martha, you know, like, I'm going to die now, and Martha's like, okay. Score and picture. She, <laughs> she leaves. She just, yeah. she, she just fucks off into the woods. She's like, yep. You white people are crazy. I'm <laughs> out. And we pan up for the be- uh, from the bear trap, and the, the score comes back, and the credits roll. So I'm guessing Boyd died. Because we didn't have a mid credit scene with him, like, walking out. Uh, if this movie was made today, we would definitely would have had a mid credit scene <laughs> getting up and walking Yeah, he'd yeah. find Thor's hammer or whatever. He was or, like, Captain or, Boyd was actually Calhoun the whole time, because or, Calhoun was actually Captain Ives. Uh, That's uh, all you know. Or, or um, Ives' eyes would open. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes! <that's>... Yeah. <laughs> For the American cut. <laughs> yeah, so, so that's Ravenous. It's a very fun movie. It's uh, like Aaron mentioned. It's there's so many mishmashes in this movie, and they they all seem to work quite well. It just like it totally. It's it's the it's the perfect kind of all over the place where it it's it try it reaches for so many different ideas and different ways to have a viewer accept what's going on on screen, and some some movies that attempt this fall apart completely which are some of the movies you've talked about on this podcast well mm-hmm. this one i find is one that just does it so well like i just have so much fun watching this movie it's yeah, like it, the, it's a weird i mean cannibalism is always going to be weird so like the idea of adding this kind of layer of dark comedy mixed with like some thrilling set pieces it's all set in the you know the uh the the frontier era it's like this is just wonderful i love how it came out it's got a great cast of you know a great all dude cast but i mean it's all good so maybe yeah, it's Maybe the Glenn, I, Gary Glenn Ross of cannibal movies. That's right. For sure. yes. <laughs> Maybe they didn't know what a good cast they had at the time, or I don't know. But yeah, it's it's well, yeah, it's not like any of them were really drawing in the bank back then. It's not like, right. like oh, we got to do David Arquette, Jeremy Davies joint. This is going to make millions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. What do the kids want? Get me David Arquette. <laughs> we need to bring the ladies' quotient up. Get that Arquette guy. <laughs> yes. We need a popular TV actor. Get John Spencer. <laughs> John Spencer. <laughs> Spence is free? Oh, get him on here. Get me someone that we don't know he's a pedophile, but he looks like a pedophile. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he was licking me! Now we move on to trivia. This is where we pick a couple items from IMDb and you know discuss and maybe, maybe see if we don't believe one's true or not. Uh, our first item is Milton Quilt. Quilt Man, Psalms, Chat, 
chant was recorded by Damon Albarn in Quiltman's living room on the reservation. Albarn was referred to Quiltman by Joseph Running Fox. That's a lot of names. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Quiltman Running Fox song. It, it all led to a great soundtrack, so I am happy. Yeah, I'm going to say, yeah, that, yeah, let's say that happened. Yeah. I love those names. It sounds like they're like, uh, like they're rappers. That's what it sounds like. Quiltman and Running Fox. Vegetarian Guy Pierce stoically underwent multiple takes of him eating the life-saving Knox stew, which was in fact a very nice lamb stew prepared by the film's caterers. Chomping into chunks of meat and then spitting them out as soon as Antonio Bird called cut. Choy what shows? An what show... actor is a vegetarian? Get out of here. <laughs> Well, that shows great restraint because we've, I've learned one thing from the movie is that if you that uh, meat gives you superpowers, but it wasn't human meat, so I guess never mind. If it's just lamb, that's nothing. So I guess ignore what I said. That that scene is quite disgusting, by the way, where he's eating the soup because he's like he's dying and he's bleeding out like through the mouth, and so he's taking these like yes. gobs of soup into his face. And his like fake blood's coming out of his mouth and going back into his mouth. It's really nasty. There's nothing that makes me hungrier than gaping abdomen wounds. We'll get a plate of David Arquette and you'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, by the way, how, how, how messed up do you think they were after eating a David Arquette's character? <laughs> yeah, what powers do they get from him? It's like, man, I'm, like, everything's just dragging for some reason. <laughs> Something I ate. Oh, got potato chips, anybody? <laughs> what are potato chips? It's 1847. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, so the the fight at the end we uh, touched upon that it was improv pretty much. But during that fight, where they were beating the hell out of each other, the production ran out of fake blood. <laughs> so they just beat themselves up for real. Well, glad this is the end. <laughs> they just went to a blood bank and just robbed it. Just spray it everywhere. It's fine. Just use it. Oh, we didn't talk about the director thing at all. Oh, yeah. You yeah. Want to talk about that? yeah, the uh, director, um, let me pull that back up again. Antonia Bird came in late to the game. Um, they had. Um, it was like the first director was like fired like after two weeks, right? Yeah, yeah. Like two weeks into. Yeah. Uh, Milko Manchevsky. Uh, he like, he apparently he submitted all these new storyboards. He had a bunch of new ideas. And they're like, you know what? We're going to go a different direction. And so they said no to him. And then Robert Carlyle was like, "What about Antonia Bird, who he had like worked with on a, on a several like other films earlier?" And they're like, "Yeah, okay, that sounds good." And uh, they did, but uh, even though she uh, was not uh, super happy with how the film turned out, there was apparently like there was some tinkering after the fact, uh, just because, as you can imagine, this is a very weird film. So it's like, well, yeah. studio's going to be involved in that if we want to make any money <laughs> on this thing. Which it still didn't. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so take that. But you know what? Ebert liked it. <laughs> he was on board. <laughs> he was licking me! Now we move on to the section of our show where we rate the film. We are cult cinema cavalcade. We try to keep things a little culty. Our options are stay with your family. You didn't care for this movie. You're not getting very ravenous and man meat does not make you hungry you're converted you like the movie enjoyed it quite well think it's think it's pretty good might check it out some other time and drinking the kool-aid you are in love with this movie it's amazing you tell all your friends about it you might even try some human one day so with that said aaron how do you rate 
ravenous. Oh, I'm drinking the Kool-Aid. I might try some human meat one day. I, I love this movie. I, I've, I've watched it way more times than I uh, would have thought that I would have watched a movie about cannibalism. <laughs> Take that, uh, Cannibal Holocaust. <laughs> oh, God. I hope I never watch that movie again. On our next episode, Cannibal Holocaust. <laughs> no! All right, Cullen, how do you rate Ravenous? I say I am converted. I did not know what this movie entirely was. I, had, I don't even know if I had heard of it uh, before uh, you told me that we were watching this, but uh, I enjoyed it. I don't know if I need to watch it anytime again uh, soon, but I wouldn't be opposed to watching it uh, again. It, uh, it cracks me up how uh, they, they take this huge uh, leap in logic that human meat gives people like like super strength and healing and and all that stuff and i know there's a mystical element to it too but uh it's just like well the 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 wendigo (laughs) come on (laughs) but it it just kind of cracks me up that there's this thing that's like wait a minute what that's the basis of your movie like yeah that's the basis let's keep going it just does not stop it just keeps going like if you don't like it ts it's this is our movie this is our movie. This is our movie. So, uh, yeah, I'm definitely converted. And I'm going to be on the lighter side of drinking the Kool-Aid. Coming in, I would have probably been just converted, but I, I saw this movie back in when it came out on DVD, and I just kind of saw it and went on my way. I, maybe I wasn't in the right mode or wasn't ready yet for a film like this or didn't understand it, but uh, when I got the Blu-ray for review, was it last year it came out? Yes, I ended up. I watched it twice. I I was like, oh. "Wow, I why did I not see in this film before that I'm really liking now?" And then for this, I ended up watching it twice again. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I I do really like this movie. I think it's a combination of a, a, a script that's better than it had any business being, and a cast that just makes it so enjoyable. Going through like Robert Carlyle is outstanding here. I, I always love Guy Pierce. Jeffrey Jones, this is one of his best roles. Seeing Jeremy Davies be Jeremy Davies and the he's licking me. <laughs> Good stuff. I, I I have fun with this movie. It's it's aged well for me over time. And you know, I'll I'll be watching it again in the future. And I think it's one that, you know, you have Netflix right now. You can check it out and see what we're talking about. It's uh yeah, it's a fun movie about cannibalism. And it's tasty. It's tasty. <laughs> it's tasty. If it wasn't for the cast and the music, I don't think this would be very good. But those two elements just two, really... <laughs> those two quintessential film elements really do help. Yes, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> well, it had actors and it had, the, good, it had well, a good story. But for the script, the direction, the cast, the music, what I, what, the editing, it'd be... Woo. What I'm saying is if it was like you know just a, a bunch of people that were just okay at acting... It just would suck, but they're all really good actors, and that helps a lot. And the music sets the tone really well. It just it hits every point it needs to hit to make it an enjoyable movie. I agree. And the script, uh, Ted Griffin, I mean, he went on to do Matchstick Men and Ocean's Eleven. Like, he's done movies I really like. I, I like I like seeing his name pop up in things. I'm like, oh, good. I'm going to get something <laughs> worthwhile, <laughs> as far as the dialogue think, goes, at least. Do you think it was improv, or do you think he's the man who wrote, Piss Blood! <laughs> 
I I'd like to think it's a it's a mix of uh, Nick Cage's genius and Ted Griffin's implicit demands to have Nick Cage scream something in this scene. <laughs> I, I love Matchstick Man, by the way. I yeah. He's also behind Terriers, by the way, as well, which is a okay. ter- terrific show that was on for one season on FX. I never caught that one. I had heard so many good things, but I just and then it got canceled. So I'm like, well. Well, you got one terrific season to watch. It's pretty open and shut. So, there you go. <laughs> he was licking me! On the next episode of Cult Cinema Cavalcade, well, both Colin and I are huge Star Wars fans, and you may have heard or something, there's there's a new movie coming out. And in celebration, we're looking into a little bit of the series Forgotten Past. Um, no, we are not doing the holiday special. Sorry, yeah, not... folks. I've sat through that twice. I'm not ready. I need a few more years. That's far from forgotten. I, I see that talked about quite a bit. We're talking about stuff that no one talks about when yes. it comes to Star Wars. We'll be discussing the 1984 television movie Caravan of Courage, an Ewok adventure, or just known as an Ewok adventure. It features Warwick Davis reprising his lovable role as Wicket the Ewok. To find the film, this film is out of print. I see DVDs running for like $131, but cheaper, and because it's out of print and you can't just naturally purchase it, I have no problem recommending that you can find it on YouTube in its entirety to watch with us. Yeah, there's no, there's no reason to spend <laughs> hundreds of dollars to watch a curly-haired child yell out Wicked's name over and over again. No need. Our episode has come to an end. I'd like to thank our guest, Aaron Newworth for stopping in. So yeah. annoying that this podcast so. is done. I was having fun. <laughs> <laughs> and as always, we appreciate you, the listener, for joining us, too. Write to us. Challenge us with something. Yeah, don't be passive. Or whatever. We know um, you're listening. We're going to be here the same either way. It's fine. Right. No, wait, no, no. Write. Write or Cullen will not talk to you about Ewoks. And who? And who wants that? Everyone wants you to talk about Ewoks. They, they don't want you to not show up for the show next week. <laughs> ah, okay. We look forward to that next time. But first, stay tuned for the trailer to next week's film, Caravan of Courage, an Ewok adventure. The trailer that actually trails. In a galaxy far, far away, a brother and sister search for their missing parents. How are we going to find them? We will. Don't worry. And fate leads them to the magical Ewoks. We help you. Now, a great adventure begins. You hear that? Let's get out of here. It's an action-packed motion picture featuring incredible special effects from the award-winning team of Industrial Light and Magic. That's Mommy and Daddy. Sometimes when you search for the impossible, an unbelievable adventure unfolds. I wish we had furry creatures like you where I came from. Don't miss The Ewok Adventure. Now on video cassette from MGM UA Home Video. Thank you for listening to Cult Cinema Cavalcade. 
You can find more of Cullen's work on the A Touch of Crafts podcast, also found on the Dead Radio Entertainment Network, and on Twitter at my name is Cullen. You can find more of my work at Naptown Nerd, and I also post reviews on whysoblue.com. My Twitter handle is at BT Peters. Our producer is Brad Shoemaker. Podcast edited by Brandon. Theme song, Pink Baby, by Happy Elf, found on the freemusicarchive.org website. The movie in today's discussion is property of its respective studio, and no infringement is intended. Please join us again in two weeks for our next episode of Cult Cinema Cavalcade! Ninety-nine, which was a great year for film. Well, there's yes. there's one glaring error there that I can think of. I like the Phantom Menace, <laughs> <laughs> but the fact that I said that, you immediately knew what I was talking about. Well, it wasn't going to be The Matrix or I don't know American Beauty <laughs> or Fight Club. Fight Club.